It's exciting to be back into the normal Bible class and be able to actually go through in depth some of these books. And it's fun for me to be able to go back through the book of James because we started it off, I guess it was a few months ago, we started picking up into piece by piece and going verse by verse. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go back into some of the things we talked about Sunday and go a little bit more in depth. And we did kind of an overview, a little bit of the first couple verses, but we're going to break down really starting with the first verse again and deal more in depth with what the first century church would have been dealing with, more of the context of what James would have been discussing. So the first thing we're going to be jumping back into with chapter 1 is we're going to be talking about false teaching. We're going to be showing how back in the day there was a lot of things that people had to face. And... You know, just for those who are willing to do so, I'm sure many of us have heard, and if you want to show by a raise of hands, how many of you have heard that the world today is much more complicated than it used to be in the first century? A lot of people have heard that. What if I told you that by the end of this PowerPoint slide, hopefully you won't think that anymore? Because <laughs> the reality is the first century church was just as complicated, if not more so in some situations. And when we talk about false teaching, probably the first thing that comes to our minds is, well, you know, back in the day, all they had to deal with was they had pagans, and then they had the Jewish people, and that was it. That's all they had to worry about. They had only one church to discuss. They only had one doctrine they were following, and so the simplicity of that was so much better. The reality is, when you start studying in some of the epistles, you start going more in-depth, you start realizing that was by far not the case. It was definitely not the case that the first century church just was always on the same page and had everything down pat, and the only things they were dealing with was the influences from outside sources. The reality was a lot of the biggest movements that took place during that time were coming from right within their members. The same thing that we see today on a large scale. So the first thing we're going to be talking about is that false teaching is discussed consistently throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, they, are, they ex show all the examples of how this was a problem and some of the ways that they struggled. Let's go ahead and look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And if someone could pick up just verse 1. All right, and then adding to that verse 2 as well, it says, And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So you can see just from that one passage in particular, Peter was discussing there was a lot of people who were coming in and trying to describe different ideas, trying to promote different ideas. Different ideas about God, different ideas about the church, different ideas about doctrine. They were taking prophecies from the Old Testament. They were claiming to be the Messiah. And this is all before we even get to Christ. In fact, we see examples of that. There was a man by the name of Gamaliel who stood up before the people, uh, the Jewish council, and said, if this is from God, then we don't want to fight against it. But if this is not from God, then it's just going to be like all these other messiahs who came up, and as soon as they died, their movements died. Now, why would he be bringing that up if there were only a few identities? See, people haven't changed over the past few thousand years. People are the same back then as they are today. People struggle with the same things back then that they struggle with today. Is pride a problem today? It was a problem back then. Is crazy ideas a problem today? It was definitely a problem back then. 
It's not something that's different. You see, the reality is, if we have lived through a time in history where things have been relatively calm and simple, the second that goes back to its default, it's going to seem so much more crazy. Because that's the reality of what we see today in America. A lot of people like to say, well, everything's just falling apart. No, the world just defaulted. It's exactly like it would have been. And when you think about how American structure has been set up, and a lot of our education system has been set up this way, our architecture was based off it, our law was based off it, it was based off of Greco-Roman ideas, Greco-Roman structure. And so when you have a system that is built similar to another system, then do you not think you're going to face similar difficulties? You're going to face similar problems, similar ideas. And so what we're seeing in this example here is that there's going to come a time when there's false prophets who are coming in among the people and they're saying, hey, you need to listen to what I'm talking about. You need to follow after this cool idea. We've had this wrong. We need to fix this. And they're going to start leading people away. And it says many are going to follow after them because here's the reality for a lot of people. New is better than right. That's how a lot of people feel. New is better than right. I see the problems with the old system. I see that there's difficulty. So what we need to do is we need to burn that down and start over. Friends, I don't care what you build. I don't care what system you create. I don't care what government you create. Give it enough time and some dumb people are going to be involved in it. It's what's going to happen. I don't care if you're talking about a church and you say, Oh, well, this church is just full of hypocrites. Yeah, a lot of churches are full of hypocrites. Why? Because people tend to be hypocrites about a lot of things. Does that make them right? No. Does it mean that the church accepts the hypocrisy? No. If it does, then there's a serious problem. And so it's not something that's new. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, that Paul calls the Ephesian elders to the island of Miletus to talk with him. And part of this that he discusses with them is to be aware, to focus, and to be prepared that there's going to be false teachers that come among you. He says, you take care of those people. Now, why would he be warning them to do that if, that's, if it's not going to be difficult, Right? There's only going to be a couple ideas, a couple things floating around here and there, so obviously it's going to be a simple structure, right? If the first century church only had to deal with paganism and Judaism, it would have been a much simpler road for them. A much simpler road for them. Because who is it harder to face? Someone who is your diehard enemy or your brother or sister in Christ? Who is it easier to face? The first century church, we tend to think of at times as saying, well, if it just wasn't for the persecution, that would have been the wonderful time to be alive. Really, the simple way of looking at that is that's good old day syndrome when you never lived in the good old days. <laughs> How many of you have heard that statement, good old day syndrome? That's been one of my personal favorites. I love hearing that people, when people talk about like, oh, back in the good old days, back in the good old days, the reality was back in the good old days, you were younger and didn't see as much. Back in the good old days, maybe you had good parents who protected you from what was actually going on. My personal favorite, I had a friend of mine said, man, I wish I could go back and live in like the 1939, 1942, you know, that was just such a great time in our history and culture. And I said, you want to live in the period where you were worried that Germans were going to be bombing your shores? See, the reality is we can go through any period of history and we're going to see there's problems. We're going to see difficulties. 
And so what we tend to do is we tend to use this idea that things are so much more complicated now, things are so much more difficult now as an excuse for not standing against it. That's how a lot of people like to use that. Well, things are so much harder to fight now. Things are, it's just so much. How can we even do it? That's usually the speech that happens right before we give up on something. There's no way we can fight it. They're too big. You know who that reminds me of? The spies that went into the land of Canaan. We're just grasshoppers in their sight. They're, they're these giant people. Yeah, we talked about the grapes that are as tall as people and how wonderful that that would be to have. But you know what? They're giants. So what did they say? We give up. We walk away. Friends, the reality is the church is no weaker today than it was back in history. In fact, in a lot of cases, we have more opportunities to spread the gospel than they did back then. Just imagine standing before or standing in front of Paul in heaven. You're standing there and you say, well, yeah, back in 2023 when I was living, you know, we had, we had mass media, we had phones and all this kind of stuff, and technology just advanced so far, and he's just mouth drops open. He says, well, how, how are you able to spread the gospel through that? That sounds, sounds incredible. And you say, well, yeah, I used to, to look at cat videos. See, we have so many wonderful things at our disposal, but we get overwhelmed and we allow the things that we see and hear and we forget the fact that that's not always reality. Just because you see it on TV every time you turn the channel doesn't mean that's all there is. Just because every TikTok video you flip through is exactly the same as it was before or Facebook post. Friends, if we think social media is reality, then reality television is a documentary. That's the world that we live in. We see all these things and we allow that to distort our view. We allow it to distort how things are. I'm even reminded of Joshua chapter 24. This is a good side note to add to it. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. When Joshua stands before the people and he tells them, I'm giving you a choice. You, choose you to stay whom you will serve. You can go serve the gods that your forefathers served on the other side of the Jordan. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, he gave them this opportunity, and you think about that, what they would have been used to. How long were the children of Israel in captivity in, in Egypt before Moses led them out? How many years? We've got two different views. We've got 400 and we got 40. It was 40. We've got that period of time that took place, of generations. That didn't sound right to me either. I don't know why that sounded wrong. Can someone look that up real quick before we go on? But the generation that took place, there was a king that rose that knew not Joseph, and he allowed these people to be in captivity, and for years these people were working under this king, and do you think they had a lot of opportunities to worship God however they wanted to? Do you think they had all the time in the world that they could go make sacrifices to God? That they could publicly pray to God? No. What would they have been bombarded by? All the Egyptian gods? I mean, you think about what some of these people were working on, what they were building. Some of the things they were building would have been temples to false gods. And Moses is telling them, you were in captivity to this group of people, or Joshua is telling them, excuse me, that you were in captivity to this group of people, and this is what you saw a lot of. And in fact, whenever Moses disappeared for a short period of time, what did they do? 
He went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and what happened? What did he see when he came down? They were making a golden calf. They were worshiping idols. Every time I see that, I don't know how many of you may have heard of the movie or seen the movie, but there was an old Pixar movie that came out called The Incredibles. And there was a line in the very beginning where he's giving an interview and he says, being a superhero makes you feel like a mom sometimes because it's like you clean up the city and you're like, can you keep it clean for 10 minutes? Can you keep it clean? Do I have to keep coming and saving the day constantly? This is kind of the same thing I would picture Moses saying. He's like, we just led you out of Egypt. You just saw the Red Sea parted. And the first thing you do when I'm not there is worship an idol. So when we look at that and take that quick look there, it's pretty easy to see that really false teaching was very prevalent back then. Now, a lot of what we were just discussing was Old Testament. So let's look in depth at some of the things that were faced more in the New Testament and help us to kind of see some of the pictures that would have been taking place. Well, first of all, we have Jesus. Jesus was dealing with the teachings of the Pharisees on a regular basis. And for sake of time, we're not going to read the entirety of Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 36. But kind of as an overview and a simple way of looking at this, this is Jesus taking the Pharisaic sect and absolutely destroying them. That's really what this all boils down to. And for just sake of argument, go ahead and read verse 13. Someone just read verse 13. That's Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. pretty scathing remark. These are the religious leaders of the day. And he's telling them, you are shutting up the kingdom of heaven against men. Oh, and by the way, it's not like you're going into it. He says, you're not going in anyway, but you're blocking other people from coming in. Does that sound familiar with what we're talking about in our text of James chapter 3, starting in verse 1? Do you remember how that was put? Brethren, be not many masters, knowing you shall receive the greater condemnation. Why do we say that was? What was it? Stricter Stricter judgment. But why stricter judgment for them and not for anyone else? Because they're teaching others, they're guiding them, they're directing them. Anytime someone stands up in an authoritative or teaching role, they're not just responsible for their own soul. At that point, you've also taken into consideration the people you're teaching. If I'm standing in a public place and the things that I'm teaching lead someone away from God, that is partially my fault. That is partially my fault. Is it entirely my fault? Am I going to take the entirety of that person's punishment because I taught them wrong? No. Because every one of us has the ability to discern. We can look at what's being said and see if that makes sense if we dig hard enough. But I bear some of that responsibility, therefore I'm held to a higher higher judgment than that. And so this is what we're dealing with here, with these people who are going in. He says, but woe to you. What do you think woe to you means? That's King James language, or New King James language. What do you think that means? What was it? Damnation, sorrow, woe to you. (laughs) Imagine if you went up to someone and said, you better start sorrowing now, because what's coming for you is pretty bad. 
That's what he's saying to them. Woe to you. Sorrow and misery be upon you. Really is what's being described there. And he goes into piece by piece how they were blocking the people from God. They were being hypocrites. They were devouring widows' houses. They were taking all these goods. They were even, in fact, at one period of time, one of the doctrines that the Pharisees allowed not to happen is you were supposed to take care of your parents when they got into old age under the Jewish law. And so what they came to people and said was, hey, if you take that money that you would have given to your parents and you give it to the temple, you don't have to give it to your parents. How corrupt does that seem to you? Because that seems pretty corrupt to me. That just raises a radar and say, hey, 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 hold on. The law said to do this, but you're saying I have the right to disobey the law. Who made you God? Who gave you the right to tell us that? But if this was the only thing that we had to face and that it was just Pharisaic doctrine, then that would be pretty simple. I mean, Pharisaic sect is pretty much not existent anymore. But let's see what else we dealt with. We also have Paul. Paul dealt with the false teaching of Judaizers and false apostles. Now, 2 Corinthians and Galatians may not be books that we've spent a whole lot of time in. Maybe we've read them. But when you really look at really Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, and 2 Corinthians, you see a large sect of what the early church had to face in terms of false doctrine. But let's start off with Galatians chapter 2. It's Galatians chapter 2. Now, if someone could start and take... Let's take 11 through 13 first. So whoever gets there first, take 11 through 13. All right, so the first thing we read here is the very difficult and rampant racism that took place in the early church. Again, not very different. Not very different than what we see today. There's still a lot of people who cling to that. Now, we are lucky in our country that we don't have any distinct laws that bar certain people from doing things. However... That doesn't stop people from thinking it. That doesn't stop people from being intolerant toward one another or hateful toward one another based on nothing more than their skin color or any their culture maybe. But in this century, remember how God told His people to act. He told His people they were to be separate from the Gentiles. Now here's the kicker for this. They took what God said and they took it to the extreme. God never told them to be evil to those people, except for those who were deserving of judgment, which he was the one that passed, out, or passed down that judgment. Remember, for instance, one of the things he told them was to take out the Amalekites. Why take out the Amalekites? Well, because when the children of Israel were going through and going towards the promised land, the Amalekites would go behind their God's people, and they were killing the sick, they were killing the children, they were killing anyone who was straggling behind the main column. God was saying, I'm going to judge them for this, and your job, Saul, is to take care of that. So there were some people that God set aside to do that. However, God also had laws that if there was a stranger that came into your field, you were to have food out for them to take. 
to feed them, to care for them. Also, it was not a thing that was separate under the old law that people were able to be proselytes, people who were not Jews but able to live under the old law. Now, they did not have all the same rights as a Jew would. However, they were able to, for all intents and purposes, follow after the old law and Jewish religion. So God never told them to just hate them and abolish them and destroy them. Now, He told them there were some laws they had to follow. For instance, they were not to intermarry with them. Again, that goes back to how all this was laid out. God had the Jews were going to be the chosen people to do what? Why were they the chosen people? To bring Christ into the world. Now, what were the prophecies about Christ? What were some of the prophecies? What family was he supposed to come from? Judah. Judah. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Okay. Does a family name, when it goes down through history... Which of the genders does it follow? The mothers? Do what? The male. The father's name is what carries on. Now what happens if one of the parents in the line of Judah that's supposed to bring about Christ marries into another name? The name changes hands. It changes hands. And again, if you have this intermarrying, if you have these things going on, then you're going to start dividing up what God had set in place. He was keeping this as a standard. These are my people. This is how I want my people to live. And I have promised to Abraham's seed that by his seed, Christ was going to come. And I'm going to keep my promise. So there was a lot of different aspects with that. And so in this particular section here, even Peter was caught up in this same idea. Now he was caught up in, again, this Jewish mentality. Well, we should always hate these people. We should despise them, remove them. And he got caught up in it because when the Jewish Christians came in, he was still following into an old way of thinking. Remember, it was even Peter that Jesus had to come to in a vision in Acts chapter 10 and tell him to go to Cornelius and say, What I have called clean, that call thou not common. Again, dealing with that mentality. So Peter's drawn away with this so much so that even Barnabas went away in his hypocrisy. But let's keep reading in verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, what law is he talking about there? What was that? The old law. So what is he implying by this statement? They were teaching you had to keep the old law in order to be saved. They were holding to something that God was not binding. Remember, Jesus was the one who came and fulfilled the old law, putting it out of the way so that the new could come into place, the New Testament, the new covenant. So one of the false doctrines that they had to deal with was these people saying, you have to follow after the old law in order to be a Christian. Some of the things they were teaching was you had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Did we start seeing how there were a lot of different denominations of thought at the time that were starting to show their head? starting to pop up. There were some divisions that were beginning to kind of gain some traction. 
So it wasn't more complicated today. Now, we get to 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is one that is really a fascinating chapter, specifically verse 11, excuse me, of 2 Corinthians, where Paul is addressing this mentality that was coming about in the church in Corinth with these people who were claiming to be apostles. They were claiming to be, in fact, in some cases, they were claiming to be better apostles than the apostles. Now, you want to talk about some problems that start coming up when you start claiming to be a better apostle than the ones that Jesus handpicked. But let's see what he starts off here. Let's specifically look at... Let's start at verse 5. He says, for I, for I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, here is Paul being slightly sarcastic. Well, no, he's being sarcastic, not slightly sarcastic. He's saying, I'm not lesser than these eminent apostles. These ones who claim to be all-knowing and all-wise and all these things. He says, no, I am not lesser than these. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have thoroughly manifested among you in all things. He's saying, yeah, you're right. I'm not, may, I may not sound like I'm publicly trained. He says, but I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. He's answering these attacks that were coming from these people. You see, it wasn't enough for these people to claim to be apostles because they know if you're trying to start something, what's the first thing you have to do? Discredit the ones who can stand against you. If you're in a presidential debate, what do you see them do right off the bat? Well, my opponent is here for the destruction of other nations. He just said that he wants to lower taxes. That's not for the destruction of another nation. Like, that's how a lot of people act, though. But I'm going to put that forward to make it sound like my opponent's an evil person. Same thing is true here. If I'm claiming to be a super apostle, all it takes is one letter from the Apostle Paul to really shut that out and put that to rest. But if I go up to you and I say, you know, Paul's really not that great. He don't really know what he's talking about. Paul's not one that really can handle... Like, I'm the one that knows more than he does. Start seeing where the problems start? That's what's going on in this particular situation. He was dealing with how these people were allowing these things to take place, that they were allowing all these problems to begin to fester. Let's start in verse 7. He says, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Now, this is something that is interesting to look at in this period of time. Paul was telling them, he says, You didn't support me to come preach for you. He said, was I wrong by doing that? Was I a lesser apostle because I didn't ask for your money? The implication here is these other people are. These other people are asking for this money. They're asking to be supported in their work. And Paul is trying to attack some of these things that have been coming up. And he says, you really think these people are so great? You really think these people are supporting God? Let's hear what they're doing. But let's continue. He says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was burdened to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. He's telling them, he says, the reason I was there was because I have love for this congregation. I have love for you as souls. I'm trying to help you to see the goodness of God. And you're over here attacking my character because someone showed up and said so. That's what's taking place. 
Paul's answering these attacks on his own character. But he goes on throughout this entire chapter. Part of the things that were taking place was he says these people who are teaching separate doctrines than what we taught, you're allowing them into your pulpits. You're showing these people as great people because they claim to be learned men. They claim to be better than the apostles because they're more educated or they know more about this particular thing. Do you start seeing how this sounds very familiar to the church in 2023? People are no different. The names might be different. The movements might be different. The books they're following might be different. But people are the same. People are the same. So this is one of the reasons why it would be so serious that James would be talking about, brethren, be not many masters. There's a lot of things out there that people are teaching, and it's leading people astray, and they're going to be held responsible for it. In the book of John, or Revelation chapter 2, we read of a group called the Nicolaitans. Now this group in particular, we don't have a lot of information about them. It's hard to find for some reason. They apparently did not have as big of an influence as some. But the one thing that's described about this group of people is what? Can someone read Revelation chapter 2, verse 6? That's it. That's all we know about the Nicolaitans is that God hates what they do. But this is also another group that would have been very prevalent at this time. A group of people that were apparently had some following. Now, before we go on and get into more, I believe, is it 7.15? We close it up? Okay. All right. Okay. For the last two minutes of class, any questions, comments, anything? We'll pick this up next Wednesday uh, and go into more detail. Four hundred thirty years—is that what I said? All right. Well, I mean, there's the Armenians said it's four hundred thirty years. Okay, four hundred thirty years. All right. One thing I will not be afraid to do is say I was wrong about something. So that was my mistake. Thank you for looking that up. Was it? So we got that date covered now. We're good to go on that. Thank you for looking that up. All right. Going beyond that, any other questions, comments about this particular section? Any comments about some of the groups we talked about going forward? Well, Paul probably would have had the ability to discern, you know, all this truth, you know, what is truth and what is not true. And that's mm-hmm. the reason why he had the ability to do what he has done. Mm-hmm. And he was taught by Christ or taught, uh, he got his revelation from Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, and that, that's something too was that God sent out the apostles in order to set up the churches to begin teaching what He had set in place. Start in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses eighteen through twenty. Now going beyond that as well, Paul also, or not Paul, Jesus was also telling them to go out and teach others to do the same thing. So churches were growing rapidly at this time. But what comes with a lot of people being brought into a group is that you have a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different ideas that start to formulate. 
And what was taking place was people were being led away from what God had set in place. They were being led away from what God had, or what Paul had said, what the apostles had taught, and even what Jesus had taught, and going into these random uh, identities, random ideologies. So that's where we're going to uh, pick up because I just ran out of time. Save the question for next week. We'll get it next week. But, um, but thank you all for your attention, and um, we'll be picking up there next week. Thank you all.